0: Sorry. <laughs> uh, great to be here. Um, family's on vacation, so little. I, I wanted to actually come visit. I said, "Hey DL, I'm going to come visit, I'm gonna visit your church, sit under your you know teaching, and just be blessed." I should have not said anything. <laughs> oh, you know, we just had a baby. I can th- use a break. No, he. That's not why. I mean, he he didn't need a, he didn't say he needed a break, but he invited me to preach, and it's my privilege to be here. Uh, Pastor DL is well known in Chicago. Uh, I'm sure my daughter wished he was preaching, because he preached at J. gen where she was blessed, and uh, through him and, you know, his teaching, um, uh, many were blessed, and uh, know about your church, because I spoke here a number of years ago at a retreat, might have met some of you at that time, and then, um, I mean, it's grown in number, as well as in uh, fruitfulness. And uh, really great to be here. Checked out your video. Uh, I'm sure I've seen some of you in that video, dancing and being joyful. So good to be here. Um, all right, without further ado, uh, let's get into God's Word. Uh, that's the most important thing for today. If We can turn our Bibles or, or uh, turn on our Bibles on your phones to Mark chapter 1. Verse 21. These days, you know, you have to say both because so many people. I don't know if your, your church, many, many people have Bibles. Mark 1, 21. Mark 1, 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for the word we thank you for the authority of the Word of God. And just as Pastor D.L. shared, no matter what happens in this world, we know that your Word doesn't change. We ask you that you would give us fidelity in our hearts, that you would give us connection in our hearts to your Word so that we would also be immovable in a world that's continually changing and shifting. Help us to change in things that, that we can change to connect to the hearts and minds of the people in this world. But may we never change the things you said shouldn't change. And so we ask you that you would, again, speak to us through your word, through the authority of your word, authority of your spirit, and that you would impart your authority into our hearts so we can live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be all touristy, talk about Disney. <laughs> I'm sure you get people coming through here, guest speakers. I'm never this dark. I'm not that dark, but I'm never this dark. I'm usually very pale, fair-skinned. But uh, we're right in the middle of our, you know, Magic Kingdom experience. And, um, you know, there's a, uh, you know, I mean, you all know this, so just just humor me. There's a regular line, And then there's the quick pass or express pass line, right? Uh, And that's like money. Because you show it and you pass. All the people in the regular line look at you like they want to kill you. So you just try to avoid it and walk in. So for yesterday, I don't know if we had it every day or... I don't know how it works because my wife organized everything. But I know there was this fast pass line. Um, A lot of us think of authority like that. Like... Maybe we might even think of authority as a Christian like that, like a fast pass. I have authority. What does that mean? I also saw another uh, misunderstanding of authority. is, um, You know, they call it the magic kingdom, but it's probably meltdown kingdom. All, all the dads, my friend, you know, friend, uh, one of the leaders at our church, Joe and his wife, Sue, and their kids, uh, Penny and Ellie, they're with us. And he's, he made a great observation. He goes, look at all the dads. Look at... Because all the dads don't look like it's Magic Kingdom, all right? Because all the dads are like this. All the kids are like bright-eyed, and, you know, they're ready to go at it. And, uh, you know, and by like midday, I mean, come on. You take kids on hot weather, taking them to rides whether they like it or not, you know, you're going to have a magic experience, right? And, uh, you know, they're, they're melting down all over. And we can think of authority like that. Authority, too. Man, if I can talk to these kids, and they'll do what I say that I do. They, through those two illustrations, we can think of mistakes. We, mistaken ways, we can think of authority. Authority to get what we want, and authority to get other people to do what we want. But the authority of Jesus and, and subsequently the authority that a Christian has is a little bit different. So through this passage, we're going to look at that. Before we jump into this text, if I can make a make a broad uh statement about the book of Mark, uh, Mark obviously is one of the Gospels, and all the gospels talk about jesus and Mark is uh, if you read Mark in one sitting and you might be able to because it's a short book you 'll feel breathless because uh, Mark says immediately over and over and over again the word immediately so it's 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 not really um, um you know uh, well, I don't want to say well thought out, but it's not a long sort of description of uh, who Jesus is or what he said even, but it's rather quick snapshots of what Jesus did. Um, In fact, uh, Matthew, Luke starts out with genealogy, goes all the way back to the beginning, but it's almost like in Mark, Jesus is just plopped down into this world at the age of 30. Um, Why? Because Mark gets right to it. Uh, From Jesus' birth all the way to age 30 where he begins his ministry, most historians say, it's kind of absent. He's just plopped down into his baptism, and then he's plopped into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. One other thing before we look into this passage is that the theme of wilderness is very important that Jesus, or John the Baptist, first of all, appeared in the wilderness, and then Jesus was plopped down into the wilderness, where it says wild beasts or wild animals and demonic activity was going on, wilderness. Why? Because uh, what Mark is doing is Mark, in the beginning of Book of Mark, just trust me on it, you can read it later, But he says, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's an allusion to the book of Genesis, the beginning. So what Mark is saying is, it's a new beginning. It's a new Genesis. And whereas in Genesis, it was creation, Mark is new creation. He's recreating what people were supposed to be. Why? Because in Genesis, what happened? It was a Garden of Eden. It was paradise. Yesterday, or a couple days ago, it all runs together right now in my mind, but we were in the animal planet, whatever, the kingdom. <laughs> and, you know, we are going through, I mean, that's exactly what Garden of Eden was supposed to be, plus or times a million. I mean, it was perfect, perfect garden, where all the animals, they were not about, I mean, you know, here, we went through the safari, you're not going to get off the safari truck and start hugging the rhino right? You have a hole in your chest, right, if you try to do that. But in the Garden of Eden, Adam actually names all the animals. Why? Because he's the prophet of God at that time, speaking names on animals. And he's, what? what is he in charge with? Lovingly lording over creation. That's what he was supposed to do. But what happens? He sins. And everything starts going wrong, So by the time Jesus appears in the book of Mark, there is no more paradise. There's only wilderness that used to be a paradise. There are no more animals that you could sleep with at night, right, using their fur as your blanket, but rather they're wild animals who are ready to devour you. There's no more angelic beings living in harmony with God's creation, but now you have demonic activity. Uh, Friends, you know, I hate to say this but we're not living in Disney World. We can visit Disney World, but it's it's not Disney World we're living in. We're actually living in the wilderness, and because he loves us, he's turning now the wilderness back to paradise. This is the point of Mark, and this is the ministry of Jesus Christ. And even as we live in wilderness now, he gives us his authority as we look forward to the paradise to come. All right? So that's the setup. Okay. So I'll just talk about three things, and I'll try to go relatively quick because I am on vacation. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'll say what I need to. God's word is is most important right now. I know some of you wish I wouldn't, but uh, anyway, number one, what is authority? Let's define authority according to this text. Two things, who he was, what he said, who he was, what he said. In verse 22, it says his teaching is amazing, but it also indicates that he taught as one with authority, with authority. It's not just that he, he sounded authoritative, but who he was. I mean, you can't fake authority. Who he was had authority, something in his being. There was gravitas. There was substance, authority. He had that it factor. His life was full of authority and credibility, right? I mean, that's that's why pastors, if they don't have character and authority, you can fool a congregation for one retreat. That's why being a guest speaker is actually not that hard. Why? Because you can fake it for one weekend. I mean, I'm not saying I'm faking it now, but you you can if you want to. Stay a year, two years, three years, your shtick runs out. And who you are becomes the message. And Jesus, he had it. He preached as one who had authority. Here, the word amazed literally can be translated thunderstruck. Thunderstruck. Well, his sermons were like thunder because his life was like lightning. There was such, such brilliance in his life and character that flowed into his preaching. And this makes sense because in John chapter 1, it says, he was the word, meaning he was the source of everything he was saying. He wasn't saying some outside quotes, but rather who he was, he was saying it. This is why it's so important for us to internalize the word of God before we share it with others. But not only who he was, but what he said. It said, what is this? this is, what is this new teaching? Everybody was amazed. So it wasn't like they didn't hear this before. It wasn't new content in the sense that it was the same Torah. It was the same Bible, but a new way of looking at it. It was fresh. There was deep insight. And we know this is true. When Jesus walked with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the way he interpreted the Bible, they said, wow, our hearts were burning when we listened to him. Every preacher, when we preach, it's not that we're looking for new novel ways to say something, but rather it's going deep into the word and then really being able to look at it in a way that points to Jesus. Listen, it says this is not like the other scribes. It's different from the other scribes. But don't mistake that to be a knock on scholarship. No, no, no. We have to be scholarly. We have to be academic. We have to have our nose in the book. But rather, it was a knock on their lack of authority, which is tied in with lack of prayer, lack of spirituality, reading it just like a textbook rather than really reading it under the authority of God's lordship. So it's really talking about when Jesus spoke Like, it wasn't just, it didn't just make sense. It was clear, but it was also, there was, it was like, there was, there were hooks in those words. Like, when Jesus spoke, he hooked your soul. He hooked it, and he pulled you toward it. It it was, I mean, think about it. Earlier in the book of Mark, he's walking by, and he sees Andrew. He sees Peter, and he goes, come, follow me, hook. And they start following him they drop everything james and john come follow me and they leave their family business and their father i mean they're do you, do you understand this is divine authority now some of you may say of course he's jesus <laughs> if i was jesus and you're not i'm not but if i was jesus i'd say something too and flower grow <laughs> you know sky range but why didn't he do that? Do you ever wonder about that? Why did Jesus not do like crazy stuff and show everybody, hey, I'm God? You ever wonder about that? Because what Jesus t- is doing here on earth is not to show a bunch of miracles to wow people. But rather, Jesus comes, what is he doing? He's coming as God-man. Right? There are many heroes, Iron Man. Superman, Spider-Man. Well, this hero trumps them all. He's the God-man. And this this Christology, understanding of Christ, Christology, is he's 100% God. He's 100% man, right? Anybody who tells you otherwise, that's that's a cult. That's heretical. Jesus is not 50% God, 50% man. He's 100% God, 100% man. I don't know how that works. It's It's a mystery. But why is that important? Because He lived on this earth in his, what, humanity, 100% man, meaning he got hungry. He had to go to the bathroom. He was really tempted. He really got sunburned living in the Middle East, right? Palestinian sun, it's pretty hot. He got tired. That's why when he was on the boat, he fell asleep. And a storm was raging. He must have been a heavy sleeper because they had to wake him up. That's a heavy sleeper there when the storm is raging. Why? Because he limits himself to his human nature. That's why Paul says in Philippians, though he was God, he didn't consider equality without something to be grasped, but he released it. Why? So that he can humble himself, become a man, a servant, and he could die for you and me on the cross. You see, he's operating in his human nature. So how in the world does he get his divine authority? How? It says later at the end of this chapter that he went away to a quiet place and he prayed. And in prayer, I think this is what happens. He doesn't pray because he has sinned. He doesn't get baptized because he has sinned. But as he prays, as he obeys his father, that divine nature is being poured into his human nature and he is able to have authority. Do you see? So what does that mean for us? That means for us when we pray we're human beings. But as we pray what happens? We pray and we receive his divine nature, his divine spiritual nature. His holy spirit nature gets poured into our hearts. That's what a Christian is. Non-Christian is Christ, non-Christian only has their human nature. But a Christian has flesh nature and spirit nature and as we pray that spirit nature pours into our that's why when jesus is going eyeball and eyeball with satan in the wilderness what does he say he goes did god really say you should turn you should turn this stone into bread did god really say and what is what is jesus every temptation what does jesus say for it is written for it is why is this important not only in prayer but in the word why was Jesus able to combat with authority the lies of the devil? Because he listened to every single word that God the Father said. And he said, for it is written. You see? And then he was able to overcome sin. On a side note, don't you feel authoritative when you overcome sin? When you're able to fight whatever it is that you struggle with, don't you feel more stronger the next day? Now, we shouldn't get proud, but we feel stronger because we're receiving more and more of his authority through his word, through prayer, through dependence on God. His nature pouring into our human nature. See, Jesus is clothed with authority, and even the world recognizes that. Even for us, people may disagree with us, but there's a moral authority, a spiritual authority that people cannot ignore as we're clothed in it. I'm flying through this. I know for some of you, I'm not flying as fast as you want me to, but I'm flying. Trust me. You know, as we think about this authority, I was thinking about my my church, and it's very similar to your church, very similar, and uh, you know, makes me feel right at home. But there's a baby boobies, baby boom, and uh, I went to visit this one mom, and I was looking at the baby, and they kicked me out when I was nursing time. Uh, Who is the most powerful person to this baby? The mom. Why? Because she got the milk. All right, she's got the power. That's authority. Mark talks about authority as power. But what if another mom walked into this room and they tried to feed this baby? She might have the power, but she doesn't have the right because <laughs> that's not your baby. All right? Mark says authority is power and the right. Power to forgive sins. When you read through the book of Mark, power to forgive sins and the right to rule the world and to rule our lives. The ruling right and what? Forgiving power. That's authority. Forgiveness of sin. Who can do that? Nobody can do that except God. Forgiving power and the ruling right. Rule your, who can rule our lives? Only the great king of the universe. And I thought about also this. One of the husbands, he tried to be really helpful, and he, I guess he was hot, and he he's wearing a tank top, or he had a shirt off, or something like that. And the baby went for his... <laughs> the same body part, but not the same function. The father has the authority, because that's his kid, but he does not have the power. <laughs> power and Right. Power and right. Power to forgive and the right to rule. So, what does that mean? That means we can always show the authority of Jesus. Why? Because when I fail, what do I do? Do I go in my room, lock the door, and sulk like some of us might be tempted to do, or get depressed, or feel like God hates me? I'm the worst. Yeah, you are the worst. (laughs) I'm the worst, too. But that's why Jesus came. So when we fail, when we sin, what do we do? We say, sorry, God. Then what happens? Then he forgives us. What are we doing? We're showing the forgiving authority of Jesus. But then what if you succeed? Does that mean we should just fail? Of course not. We want to live for God. We hate sin. That's what growth as a Christian means. As we hate sin, we live for God. Then what happens? Wow, that person's obedient to God. Then what does that show? The ruling authority. So whether you fail or whether you walk in obedience, meaning any time in your life, you can show the authority of God. The authority of God is not my power to get people to do what I want or to have life go the way I want. The authority of Jesus is no matter what happens. I can show the authority of in my life. Okay, let's fly faster. Number two, why is authority? Really, we're gonna fly faster. Why is authority needed? First, penetrate the darkness. Penet- why? Because uh he's teaching, and a person with a demonic spirit stands, verse 24. What have you do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, holy one of God? Do you, do you see what he's doing? He's saying, You're holy, you're Jesus. Later on, it says in verse, or earlier on, it says in verse 23, synagogue with an unclean spirit. So he's unclean, and he says, you're holy. He's impure. He's saying, you're pure. He's showing two kingdoms. Mark is showing two kingdoms facing one another. Isn't it interesting? A demon can sit in the third row. Sorry if you're in the third row. (laughs) A demon can sit in that synagogue week after week. And he wasn't bothered until Jesus came in the door. Do you see? Why? Because he's recognizing, shoot, there's power here. There's power here. Hell took notice that the king of kings was in Israel. And they, they rounded up all the forces to come and bother his ministry. It says that this man cried out men with an unclean spirit cried out. Why? Why? I don't know if this is theologically correct, but I thought of it like this. Why didn't he scream until now? Because until now, he didn't get stabbed with a sword of the Spirit. Sword of the Spirit, Word of God. It stabbed him, and he woke up. How does this happen? How are... How is the darkness penetrated? It is always through the man or the woman of God who preaches the word of God in the power of the Spirit of okay. God. How do we penetrate the darkness? The man or the woman of God who preaches the word of God. Now, I don't mean preaching as in like official preaching, but speaking the word of God, living the word of God in the power of the Spirit of God this must happen. In small groups, what are you doing? You're speaking the word of God. Preaching, you're sitting under the word of God. Small groups or cell groups or house churches, you're sitting around the word of God. Preaching, you're sitting, just the the, the, the sheer fact of preaching is a very humble, or sitting under preaching is humbling experience because you are giving somebody 40 minutes of their time, of your time, 30 minutes of your time to sit there and humbling yourself to sit under the word. But you're not humbling yourself before the preacher. You're saying, God, I sit under the authority of your word. And then in small group or cell group or house churches, what are you doing? You are being humble enough to say, I need that other person to read my life and to speak into my life. And he needs me to serve him by speaking into their lives with the word of God. Otherwise, what will a church become? It will become a ho-hum church. Ho hum, sing once in a while, drink your coffee, eat your donuts, and go on your merry way. Nobody will be bothered. Blessed is the church where people are bothered by the preaching of God's word. Not just, oh, I enjoyed it, but that stabbed me right here. One person I know, he's Scottish, he says, When I first came to American churches, I just didn't understand why after the preaching of God's word, they just get up and dismiss. Because where I'm from, there's a thing called the holy hush. They just soak it in for a couple of minutes before they go forward. And, and of course, we do it a little differently. We sing, we pray. Oh, for congregations who are stabbed with a sword, because people who are stabbed with a sword can stab the darkness, can penetrate the darkness. B. What else? Also to silence the enemy and to destroy his work. What does the demon say? Have you, and mind you, it wasn't the man that was evil, but the evil influences in this man, he said, have you come to what? Destroy us. He knows his theology. 1 John 3, 8, it says the Son of God, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that amazing? He knows, demon knows that the Son of God came and is going to use his authority to destroy the works of the devil. The devil is like an HIV-infected patient. And this is not, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about HIV-infected patients, but he's like HIV-infected patient who is so bitter about his infection that he doesn't tell anybody. And he infects as many people as possible before he himself dies. The demon knows Satan came to destroy. Number three. Or oh, Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. Number three. How do we respond to his authority? All right, so, okay, we get it. He's a, he's a, he has authority. He has weight. He has substance. I must listen to him. How do we respond? Well, I'll look at, we'll look at in this passage. Two negative examples. Number one, response of the demons. They had knowledge, but no love. And response of the people. They had amazement, but no faith. Demons had knowledge because they were very accurate about what Jesus came to do and who Jesus was. They could probably beat any systematic theologian in Bible trivia. Demons. Demons are probably one of the most knowledgeable, if Definitely more than me, I know, which is shameful because I'm a pastor. Yet they don't love him. See, this is scary. You can know Jesus and not love him. It was, a, it was a grudging confession. Yeah, he's son of God. It was not a loving confession. But what about the people? They were amazed. It says his fame spread everywhere at the end of this passage. They were amazed, yet they had no faith. They were fans and not followers. Fans are amazed. Followers are faithful. It's just because you go to a conference and wow, wee, you know, and you jump up and down, which is great, but that amazement, must be nurtured to faith, right? Otherwise, you and I will be like the crowd later on in this chapter, knocking on his door, asking to be healed. And yet Jesus gets up and he goes, no, let's go to the other villages where I can preach. Why? Because they were fans, not followers. Jesus doesn't want fans. He wanted followers. So, you know, I was thinking about this. How do we get this authority? How do we get this authority? Simple. Matthew chapter 8, you don't have to look there. But there's a Roman centurion, and he says, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house to heal my servant. He goes, just say the word, for I too am a man under authority. Right? I think he's gonna say he's a man of authority. He goes, I'm a man under authority. Just like you, Jesus. This meant Jesus was under the authority of the Father and did whatever the Father wanted. So how do we get authority? We gotta get under his under his authority. Do you, do you see? Only way to have authority is to be under God's authority through prayer, through the word. And then what do we do with this authority? Matthew twenty eight. All authority has been given to me. So don't use it for yourself. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, so now I give it to you. And what do I want you to do with it? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. This is the point. We get his authority. How? Through word, through gospel, through worship, through prayer. And then our hearts come alive. And then we go under his authority. And then we go forth. And then we use that authority to what? Make other hearts come alive, okay? So I have four kids. and I'll just tell you a story about them and then we'll finish. Um, they all played the piano. I'm the only non-musical person. All of them play piano, my wife played many years and she taught, well she didn't teach the kids because she killed them if she taught them. So we <laughs> no, I'm kidding, she's kind and nice. I like her. So, uh, you know, they they all take piano lessons, someone at our church or connected to our church, and uh, her name is Miss Pam, and Miss Pam holds these, she teaches many kids, and she has a piano recital in her house. And so we went to the piano recital, and it's really interesting watching the little kids play piano. I call them the suspended pi- suspended fingers piano recitals. Why? Because they play one note, ding, And then their finger goes up, and it's suspended. Like, they don't know where is it supposed to go. It's like looking for the next key. And then they play the next note. Why? Because they're they're little. They're just starting. And then the next stage are the kids who can play. Like, you know, they're a little older, so they can play their piece. But the next stage, the oldest kids, I just noticed this at the last recital. It's the internalized where their body starts swaying as they play. And it's almost subconscious, but their body is swaying. Why? Because the peace is now inside of them. And then what's really interesting was I turned and I saw this old grandpa, and he was (laughs) swaying with the music too. Why? Because their music has become his music. You see where I'm going with this? That's authority. We're under the music of God, the redemptive history of God. And it's not just we know how to play it. It's not uh, we're awkward with it. No, we've internalized it, and it makes us move. And as his redemptive music plays through our lives and what we say, other people who are observing, they start, it, our music becomes their music. That's authority. And with kids, you know, it's not just piano, but the boys play baseball. And I wasn't like this, but I've seen other coaches and other fathers who are, like, college baseball players, like, awesome athletes. You know, you know, you know those kind of dads, right? I hate them. But those, da- those dads, you know, who are awesome, everybody looks up to them. And these, uh, these fathers, you know, you could tell who the coach's sons are, you know, because since they were, like, three, you know, they took steroids and stuff. like. Anyway... <laughs> So, you know, sometimes these kids, they look up to their dads, and they're like, oh, you know, I want to be just like dad. So, I mean, I didn't see this happen, but just think about this scenario where the, da- where the kid is not as good. Like, somehow the athletic genes skip them. And they're not as good, and the father, you know, he tries to be patient, and he just loses it. And he says something like this. Do you know when I was your age... And then fill in how awesome he was. What is happening there? The boy or the girl is crushed under the greatness of the Father. Do you see? God is so great. He's so, He has so much authority, we could easily be crushed. Right? Easily be crushed under His authority. But if it's a good Father. He will never say, when I was your age, you know how good I was. But rather, he'll just see where the boy is and work with him, help him, encourage him. Here is the authority of God. Here is the weight of God. And we should have been crushed. Yet, Jesus, in all of his authority, lays it down and is instead crushed for our sins. He's crushed under the greatness of the Father. Why? So that we can rise up with him and never be apart from the Father again, but live as his sons and daughters with his authority that's working through our mistakes and our successes. And then as the music of redemption plays through our lives, other people who watch us, they don't say, oh, he's so awesome, he's so great, but look at God at work at harvest. And in that person's life. And he gets the glory. Let's pray. Would you just take a moment and sit under a holy hush? Let the Spirit speak to you. And just confess to him, Lord, thank you for being crushed for me. Help me to live in faith. Help me not to be a fan, but a follower. I love you, Lord. Help me to live as your child. Just pray for a second. I'll hand it over.